Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all the nations to see. For the glory of the Lord is shining upon you. Darkness as bright as night will cover all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord will shine over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your hearts will thrill with joy, for merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you. The camels of Midian and Ephah from Sheba, they will bring gold and incense for the worship of the Lord. The full moon is known for having a mysterious effect on people. The most recent Twilight movie to come on screen has werewolves as key characters. And next month, Anthony Hopkins and Benicio del Toro will bring back to the big screen the legend of the Wolfman. School teachers say that the full moon brings out the wildness in their students, just like the full moon rising transforms a man a werewolf into a terrifying and brutal wolf. In Isaiah's prophecy today, we have the type of reversal at which God is so adept. It is a reversal of legend, but also a reversal of human nature. Isaiah proclaimed these images to the people of Israel over 2,500 years ago, and they remain our words too. Arise, Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you. The Lord will arise upon you, not the full moon. And his glory will appear over you like the brightness of the sun, melting away the snow melting away our hearts, the selfishness therein. So can you see Isaiah's vision? In this new year, the glory of the Lord through the coming of Jesus Christ has arisen upon us. As powerful as we like to think we are sometimes, we do not generate our own light. It comes from God. And so now God is arising like dawn after a particularly lonely and difficult night. And we're left to wonder, how does this transform us? I Saw Three Ships is a well-loved English Christmas carol. It has multiple versions and no one knows its true origins. Some say that camels, since camels have been called ships of the desert, since they carry cargo from one place to another, that this song suggested the wise men bringing their three gifts to Jesus. Most versions of the song envision the baby Jesus with his mother Mary on one of the ships. I wondered what the other two were for. Paparazzi? Secret Service? 
As we conclude the liturgical season of Christmas today, we'll use this carol to help us envision what God may hold for us in the new year. And so the first ship coming in has in its cargo hold special flashlights. These flashlights have solar panels to soak up God's glorious light on sunny days so that they still have power when it gets dark. In addition, they have cranks on the side in case we fail to see God's glory for too many days. Sometimes we have to work a bit to put some energy into finding God's light. And when we do our part, the bright LEDs will light our paths and perhaps others through the minutes and months of the coming year. Isaiah says also, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. We are among those who have been drawn to Israel's revealing and glorious light in God. You think about the rising sun and when you wake up before dawn, it's, it's dark all around and it gets a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter and you start to see silhouettes. But then when the sun comes up all the way, then you can see things in full dimension as they really are. That light reveals those things as they really are. And in the same way, God's light can reveal to us who we really are and then can help us see ways that we can connect with God and with each other in powerful new ways this coming year. How would you like God to help transform you? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born, in Bethlehem in Judea. They replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Isaiah tells us that kings will come and nations will come to the brightness of the dawn. These 
wise men or the first outsiders that we know of to be drawn to this new light in the sky. And many other outsiders have followed their example through the years. In a children's book, a Christmas children's book called The Last Straw, the wise men of the East call upon an aging camel in the herd to carry the gifts, their gifts, to the new king. The camel complains about his back and his sciatica, but his pride gives him the strength to accept the task for which he's called. Along the route, many who learn of the destination of this camel and his accompanying wise men also want to send gifts to the baby king. And so they add them to the camel's load, and the camel is getting, you know, heavier and heavier and having a harder time walking, but still that pride in being the camel that was chosen gives him the strength to keep moving on. Nearing the stable, a poor boy asks the camel to carry one piece of straw, his gift for the baby king that would offer him a little bit more comfort in his manger. And even knowing how weary he is and how much pain he's experiencing from carrying such a heavy weight, the camel agrees because it's just one straw and it's for a poor boy. But the weight of that straw is more than he can bear. And the burden forces the camel to his knees. The wise men see the camel And they follow the camel's example, also bending down and kneeling before the young king. These were foreigners, outsiders to the young Jewish family, but they were received with honor. The second ship then contains containers of pillows so that we may kneel and worship this new kind of royalty. Wherever we place our pillows, we should find plenty of space in front of us so that we can kneel down and lay our burdens out for Jesus. We release them. The camel worked through his weariness and worked through his pain and found himself in front of a savior. And that baby received those gifts just like God receives our pride, our shortcomings, our inadequacies, our fears openly. And then we can release them. And we feel relieved, and we feel much lighter, and we feel much more joyful knowing that the power, the same kind of power that Herod was trying to hold on to, is actually where it belongs, which is at the feet of Jesus. I'll be reading from Ephesians 3, 1 through 12. I, Paul the servant of Christ, and here in jail because of you. 
for preaching that you Gentiles are a part of God's house. No doubt you already know that God has given me the special work of showing God's favor to you, to you Gentiles. As I briefly mentioned before in one of my letters, God himself showed me this secret plan of his, that the Gentiles, too, are included in his kindness. I say this to explain to you how I know about these things. In olden times, God did not share this plan with his people, but now he has revealed it by the Holy Spirit to his apostles and prophets. And this is the secret, that the Gentiles will have their full share with the Jews in all the riches inherited by God's sons. Both are invited to belong to his church, and all of God's promises of mighty blessings through Christ apply to them both when they accept the good news about Christ and what he has done for them. God has given me the wonderful privilege of telling everyone about this plan of his, and he has given me his power and special ability to do it well. Just think, though I did nothing to deserve it, and though I am the most useless Christian there is, Yet I was the one chosen for this special joy of telling the Gentiles the glad news of the endless treasures available to them in Christ and to explain to everyone that God is the Savior of the Gentiles too. Just as he who made all things had secretly planned from the very beginning and his reason to show to all the rulers in heaven how perfectly wise he is when all of his family, Jews and Gentiles alike, are seen to be joined together in his church in just the way he had always planned it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we can come fearlessly right into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome when we come with Christ and trust in him. Arriving at Plymouth Church one Sunday, Congregational Minister Henry Ward Beecher found in his mail a mysterious letter containing a single word, FOOL. During the service that morning, he related the incident to his congregation, and he said, I've known many an instance of a man writing a letter and forgetting to sign his name, but this is the only instance I've ever known of a man signing his name and forgetting to write the letter. Well, the, the writer of the letter to the Ephesians speaks of the mystery of Christ. In, in Lois's version, it was called the plan, uh, the new... The version we usually use here is um, called the mystery of Christ. And he says that it was unknown for years but has now been revealed by God's Spirit. 
we all have this idea of us and them. It's not intentional, but sometimes it's us females and them males, or sometimes it's us 40-somethings and them kids, or you know, how, you know what I'm talking about. We all tend to do it. And for the, for the Jews, there was this sense back when the Bible was written, and probably, and today as well, I should say, that, that there are the, us the Jews and them the Gentiles. Or speaking from my perspective, I'm us the Gentiles and they'd be them the Jews. But there's, the idea of them coming together and being under the same plan was new. It was new thanks to Jesus. So here's another version of what Lois read from verse 6. The Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Herbert O'Driscoll describes a video image that was seared into his mind when watching television news one day in the 1970s when earthquakes were shaking regions of northern Italy. The scene had been captured on camera by someone in the rear of the crowd of an outdoor mass. On a hillside, a rough altar of stones had been assembled, and an elderly priest was about to elevate the chalice when an aftershock came. And the tremor rippled through the crowd until it reached the priest. And he staggered but succeeded in keeping the chalice aloft with one hand while supporting himself with the other hand on the altar. It's an image for us of holding on to what is truly Christ-like in a world where everything else is shifting. For the Ephesians, the earthquake was that God welcomed non-Jews, Gentiles. God was more inclusive than they ever realized. And that still shakes us today when we tend to divide ourselves in us and them. It shakes us to fully comprehend that seekers after God come in all colors and shapes and ages with any hairstyle, with or without body piercings, tattoos, or fancy clothes. These are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It strikes me that sometimes we fear what we do not know. We fear what is different. We fear changes. And yet we are called by the Bible, by Christ, to intentionally engage these and let them hone us into greater faithfulness and greater welcome then into the family of God. And so the image of the cargo on our third ship is a chalice. In our Baptist concern for hygiene and perhaps efficiency, we represent this with our small communion cups. But the chalice, though, remains for us a symbol that the mystery of Christ is revealed 
in full acceptance and inclusiveness, just as if we were to pass a common cup throughout the whole congregation. That same minister, Henry Ward Beecher's last words were, Now comes the mystery. And there is mystery in the bread and the cup that lie before us. We know in our minds that this bread, these crackers, these grape juice, they're not the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But they symbolize to us his love and his sacrifice as well as that mysterious feast that he prepares for us. Just as we imagine in Psalm 23 when we think about our cup runneth over and the feast, the table prepared before us. And so it is this love that can impel us to share these elements of life with each other and then to share our lives with others within this room and beyond. This table is set for all who seek the light of Jesus Christ. The wise men realized that he was worth seeking. And we will begin the service with a few moments to verbally share the peace of Christ with each other. And then we will share communion with each other in prayerful silence so that you may have that quiet time to express to God what it is you seek this day and listen for God's love and for God's guidance.